So what most databases at the time were built were row-based databases. So on disk, you store the pieces of data row by row, right? So every column is is together. And uh, if you want to find a particular transaction, you can go right to that transaction. And that's what most row-based Oracle, Sybase, SQL Server were all based on that, that base technology. What uh, Dr. Stonebreaker decided was, well, for reporting and analytics, it's better to to look at it from a column basis, right? So if you look at cardinality, if you're looking at a column that's got states, right? There's only going to be 52 states in, if you're just looking in the US. So he decided that storing the data as columns would give you better performance when you're looking at reports that give me everything you know about a particular state, because now you don't have to go for every row that has and find every instance of a state. You can go to a column, find that one uh, instance of that, uh, say, New York, for example, and then get all the related data from the other columns because it's stored by column. So it improved the performance of queries that were very analytic-based by a magnitude or multiple magnitudes. And that was really the, the start of the revolution in terms of columnar databases. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined, as I often am, by my colleague and collaborator, Ryan Donovan. How goes, Ryan? Oh, it goes. It goes all right. It goes. It goes. You're among the walking wounded, but thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. So today we are going to be talking with some fine folks at Vertica, and we're going to be talking about databases, machine learning, analytics, and yeah, how to navigate and make use of the enormous rivers and lakes of data that many companies are finding themselves with these days. Ryan, is this something that we've seen on the blog? I feel like it is over the last year and a half. I mean, a little bit. We, we've seen bits and pieces of it. I don't know if we've seen as much of the intersection between databases and uh, machine learning. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like in my former life, when I was a technology journalist, mm -hmm. this came up a lot. You know, it was sort of like the mm -hmm. big thing that interested people in the world I was covering, like drones and computer vision, you know, was how to make use of the enormous amounts of data that people were pulling in different ways consolidate them and train systems mm -hmm. on it. I think I right when I left The Verge, that was right when uh, DeepMind became the best Go player in the mm -hmm. world. And we were all sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop on the singularity, but still waiting. Yeah. I mean, obviously, machine learning processes a huge amount of data. So that data has to be stored right. somewhere, right? Um, so today we're going to be talking with Ro Amaranth, who is the CTO at Vertica and the head of Vertica Accelerator. Ro, welcome to the show. Thank you, folks. Thank you very much for having me. So Ro, tell us a little about yourself. How did you get into the world of software um, and what brought you to your current role? Uh, long story there. <laughs> I think I knew I was going to software as soon as I picked up my first uh, ZX128 uh, back in the day mm -hmm. um, and couldn't put it down and went with it for, for a good while. Came, came to the States when I was 17, went to school at RIT and did systems analysis, which was actually very few schools had it at the time as a program. Worked on Wall Street for uh, as a contractor. I started my own business as, uh, as a consultant right out of the gate and worked with a bunch of Wall Street firms. Uh, and then in 2007, I saw AWS, well, Amazon came out with uh, EC2, which was compute, you know, renting mm -hmm. computers uh, on right. demand. And I had 
was toying with the idea of you know doing databases and and data warehousing as a service because I'd supported a bunch of them in my on my Wall Street jobs and essentially said I hey I could do all of that without having to spend the capital to build that infrastructure out and right. and got involved with AWS very very early because of that. So you got off of Wall Street in 2007. We know you have good timing. Yeah, well, I was still I still had to work with them for a while because right. nobody wanted to buy the cloud at the time, but uh, right. but it was it was still an early start. So, you know, I worked worked with Chase and Deutsche Bank and a whole bunch of others. Yeah. Um and in fact, uh, just before kicking that part of my career off, I actually met with Michael Stonebreaker and Andy Palmer, who were the founders of Vertica. And I was really, really excited about what they were doing with with Columbia Data Warehouses at the time. And this was 2008. Uh, well, I think it was 2006 when I first met them, and then 2008 when they actually formally launched uh, and, and with the product. So I've been with both AWS and Vertica from the very, very beginning. So. Right. And Ryan and I have been obsessed with the name ever since we heard it, Dr. Stormbreaker. Tell us a little bit sort of like what his pedigree is. And I know, you know, he, he's created some pretty interesting sort of foundational technologies. Yes. Well, well I'll actually put one one caveat there. I didn't actually join Vertica till this year. Uh, uh, my company was partners with Vertica, partners with AWS. We built out uh, managed services around around those two. And, and uh, this year, Microfocus, which is the owner of the Vertica product, acquired my company and made me the CTO for Vertica. But it started out with Michael Stonebreaker's awesome work with Ingress and Postgres initially, and then he decided that you know Postgres didn't really fit the bill for different types of workloads, and he went down the path of really building out a purpose-built data warehousing technology for uh, that ended up being Vertica. It was C Store and MIT. Once they launched it as a product, it became Vertica. But then he went on to do other purpose-built databases. He did StreamDB. TV uh, for online transactions, and I think he's now working with machine learning in the data space at, with his latest firm uh, with Andy uh, at Tamer. Yeah, the, the um, purpose DB sound really interesting to me. Can you can talk about what the specific purpose that Vertica was built for? Yep. So what most databases at the time were built were row-based databases. So on disk, you store the pieces of data row by row, right? So every column is, is together. And uh, if you want to find a particular transaction, you can go right to that transaction. And that's what most row-based Oracle, Sybase, SQL Server were all based on that, that base technology. What uh, Dr. Stonebreaker decided was, well, for reporting and analytics, it's better to to look at it from a column basis, right? So if you look at cardinality, if you're looking at a column that's got states, right, there's only going to be 52 states in, if you're just looking in the US. So he decided that storing the data as columns would give you better performance when you're looking at reports that Give me everything you know about a particular state, because now you don't have to go for every row that has and find every instance of a state. You can go to a column, find that one uh, instance of that, uh, say, New York, for example, and then get all the related data from the other columns because it's stored by column. So it improved the performance of queries that were very analytic based by a magnitude or multiple magnitudes. And that was really the, the start of the revolution in terms of columnar databases back you know, in the mid-2000s. Very cool. And so you said you had come from, from the world of finance, and now you know, this, this was kind of purpose-built, as you said, for, for sort of more analytical approaches. Has there been overall a shift in the way people sort of sense value in data, like transactional versus analytical? I think so. I mean, I think, you know, my, my career even on Wall Street was around uh, analytics. So it was building reports or balance sheets and, and uh, 
P&L and, and profitability, et cetera. And so we, while we cared about the transactions, the, the real value was figuring out how they could cut costs or invest in a particular business or look at data from an aggregate perspective, right? Mm. And, and those reports help with strategy and, and future versus transactional. It's just very operational, right? What, what do I need to do today to solve a problem, right? Whereas analytic reports tend to be far more reaching in terms of what the impact is is on a company, right? So I think then and now it's exploded, right? So people realize that there's so much value in the data that's being collected and people are collecting so much because of the cloud that to really get insight into your business, you need to be able to load this into a lake, into a warehouse to be able to get that value out, find those nuggets of information that let you say buy a business or mm. invest in a particular product. And gotcha. so My experience with these sort of analytic databases has been there's a big NoSQL database that handles transactions, goes through an ETL pipeline, and ends up in a big SQL analytics data lake. How does Vertica's database fit in there? I'm a SQL bigot, so I, I love <laughs> SQL. I've always loved SQL. I saw this whole trend towards NoSQL, and I, I poo-pooed it at that time. To some extent, I've, I've, my poo-pooness was justified. People are coming back to SQL now. If you look at efforts, even by Google, et cetera, that went down the NoSQL route, they're bringing back SQL-based databases because at the end of the day, it's one of those core technologies and ways to query data that is never going to go away, right? And mm. it's, it's so simple. It's, it's mm-hmm. you know, it's so simple to pick up, so intuitive in terms of, at least to me, in terms of looking at, at how to find data that even the NoSQL guys are building SQL engines on top of their NoSQL databases. So Vertica, uh, Michael Stronebreaker was along that same thought process and everything he's done is very SQL oriented. In fact, probably the biggest SQL bigot out there in terms of what, <laughs> what uh, where SQL fits. Uh, so Vertica is very squarely in the face uh, in terms of analytics and how you query it is, used, is using SQL, primarily based on ANSI SQL, but has extensions for a number of different things that they've, they've added to it, like machine learning and time series, et cetera. And so can you give us some examples, like if a customer was coming to you today what kind of problems might they be looking to solve or you know what kind of value might you be able to deliver to them as they're thinking about database as a service or as you said a warehouse in a lake that they can sort of peer into to extract those really useful nuggets there's so much data being collected for every industry right so there isn't a particular industry that we haven't worked mm-hmm. with or we we don't find value in, in working with right so I work with gaming companies they're ones who collect massive amounts of data in terms of behavioral, analytics, uh, how a particular player is doing something, they collect significant amounts of data for, for doing that. So one of the one of the early big projects we did with Vertica and AWS was really helping Zynga bring Vertica into the cloud, mm. you know, and it's just massive petabytes of data. And there's a case study on it on the AWS website. And that's one big uh, area, healthcare, aviation, all of these industries are collecting more and more data on a day-to-day basis that they need to put it somewhere. It usually ends up in S3-based or object stores that are S3-compatible as the big daddy of them all. And once they're there, they need to be loaded, transformed, queried in if by some form mm. or the other. So there are ways to do it directly, but most of our customers end up bringing in the data into to Vertica so they can apply the SQL, make it easier to load and transform within the database itself. I know another of the things, because it's kind of cloud-based, you've been using a database as a service, right? Do customers even have to set up the database at so, all? So Vertica has been around for, for a while. So they've obviously, their big uh, install base is on-prem, but they can run and 
uh, exist on any uh, any of the big clouds. So they you can install Vertica on-premise, you can install it AWS and uh, GCP, Azure, and so on. But one of the things that that we ended up building out and going GA with this year, which is what product I'm managing, which is called Vertica Accelerator. That is the as a service for Vertica. So it essentially lets you run Vertica without having to manage it, mm. right? So click a few buttons and the expectation today is you only have to click a few buttons and a database magically appears. And that's what that's what we've built out. One of the things with, with that as a service is it, it does provide, Vertica has been very good about leveraging what the cloud has to offer and it's separate out sort of this compute and storage concept. So mm. data is stored in object storage uh, with S3. So you don't really have a limit of how much you can store there. And then it's it's actually uh, brought to the end customer via SQL, but they bring down what's needed to the cluster that's actually doing the compute side. So if you're doing an aggregation, it'll bring the data down to do the group by and sum and show you know how many widgets there are in a particular state, for example. Now, in fact, there was an interesting recent example last year, Domo doing a, the coronavirus dashboard with Vertica on the back end to show people where, mm. where the cases were and, and, and day-to-day how things were changing. And how does that work from like a security perspective? Is that something customers like to be able to separate compute and storage and, as you said, run it after bringing it down? Yeah, I mean, actually, one of the things that we do differently from from some of our competition is we actually run the the environment and the database in the customer's AWS account. So mm. rather than it being in our environment and they connect to it, uh, mm-hmm. moving data into into our environment and taking it out, we're actually doing it in their account itself, which gives them a fair bit of flexibility because now you don't have to move the data in and out of their environment. It basically sits in and is close to some of these large S3 sources of data where, where they've been collecting it for a while. Now they have a way to to use it without actually having to move the data much. To me, you know, my experience has been a lot of ETL and ELT is just moving data around. And if you can reduce the number of places, times you have to move it or places you have to move it, it saves money, is more secure and so on. Mm, That makes sense. You mentioned both ELT and ETL. Do you have a opinion on how to perform those? Which which is the better? It goes goes right with my SQL bias, right? I Mm -hmm. like doing things in SQL, like doing things in the database. So my preference actually has always been to load the data into the database and then work with the data in the database because SQL does really well with sets. Right, so if you're mo- if you're mm-hmm. changing data across a number of columns, a number of rows, that's sets, and those sets do really well in in an analytic data warehouse when you're trying to change it. So I've always liked the ELT concept, which is extract, bring it from wherever it is, load it into the warehouse, and then transform it in the warehouse. And what I've seen in the past few years is people are actually going back to that uh, with a number of ELT specific tools for managing the data. And and the reason is primarily because there's so much available compute today that the databases have gotten more uh, powerful enough to be able to do uh, operations on, on these massive sets of data. Whereas they, so they didn't, don't have to do it at the row by row basis or transaction by transaction basis, which was the traditional ETL model. Uh, and, and like I just said, you don't need to move the data multiple times. In ETL, you're actually re- taking it out, take, going into an ETL tool, bringing it back to the data, database or data warehouse. Whereas in ETL, it stays there. You're doing all your processing in the same place. You're reducing the number of moving parts that you, that you need to, to deal with when you're moving and transforming the data. And so how do you sort of engage clients when you're managing their infrastructure? Do you talk about this in terms of data ops and what they can save? 
Do you talk about time and cost? Like when you're on the phone, you know, with a big client who's considering this, what are some of the value propositions you put to them? Well, the primary thing is really looking at it as a data pipeline, mm. right? So looking at it from, okay, when, from the point that you collect the data the point that you deliver the data to the customer or their end customer, whether it be reports or downstream systems or APIs, what do you need to do to make that journey as quick as possible, as efficient as possible, as cheap as possible? And it depends on what their end goal is, right? So some of them might be looking to just keep it cheap, make sure they can get all the data in and have it available for regulatory purposes. Or they may be looking at, okay, how quickly can I get an answer to a question that's being mm -hmm. asked uh, and reduce Reduce that time, you know, to near real time or real time from the point that we collect the data. So depending on what they're trying to do, a lot of our discussions around how Vertica fits is around those, those concepts. What do you need to do? How do you need to get there? What, did, what sort of transformations do you want to achieve? And how quickly do you want them to be done, right? And, and that really helps with that data operations pipelines that help customers make the decision, I think. And we fit right in the middle. We make it easy to to load the data, transform it, and deliver it. That's interesting the way you put that. You know, do you, is it something you want later, like you said, for governance or something you want in real time for a finance transaction or a gaming, you know, tournament? Is that something where they're making a choice between, yeah, sort of speed, quality, and cost, or are you and you're managing those things for them, or is it possible to, to move everything in the right direction? Right. And that's that's where they they've got to make a decision. Do they spend more on compute? you know, to, to get things done quicker? Or do they spend more on storage and, and storage in S3? From our perspective, the technology can support it either way, right? The way we've priced it is based on compute. So it does, we, we actually, at least on the accelerator as a service side, we don't care how much they want, how much data they want to deal with. It's how much compute they want to throw at the problem and have a pretty good idea of what compute they want to throw at it because it's running in their, their environment. Right, gotcha. Talk about analytics. You know, everybody wants insights from their data. What sort of analytics, what sort of transforms and processing work really well with, with Vertica? So Vertica's done a great job with building things that are needed to work with the data into the database, right? So machine learning, mm. uh, time series, uh, all of these things that you would normally have to use extra tools for and outside the database are now are now available as SQL functions within the database itself. So if you wanted to run a machine learning model within the database, again, it's a whole let's not move the data in and out and spend and add complexity to to the infrastructure because you have to build out, you know, machine learning pipeline, et cetera. You could do that all inside the database. And I think being able to do that, again, is, is to help reduce that friction, bring it, keep it in one place, make it easy to work with uh, because all the data tends to be there. And that translates immediately into efficiency because the data is right there, because these these functions have been created with a great deal of thought and, and expertise, they perform extremely, extremely well. We've I have a, a anecdote about one of our prospects who had like thousands of lines of Python code that they had written to manage a mach machine learning Python uh, model that went down to like a 10 line Python model because most of the work was being done by the database itself. So, so that's the sort of thing that really gets me excited and, and happy to be where I am helping customers with with those sort of efficiencies. Right. And so you had mentioned before two things that I hear a lot these days, which is data warehouses and data lakes. I looked up data lakes once and it started talking about blobs. And at that point, I just like, I thought <laughs> th this metaphor, how deep can this metaphor go? No pun intended. Like, 
So when you say warehouses and lakes, can you, for a layperson, like what, what do those terms mean and why are we using those metaphors? Like what are we, what are you trying to convey with those? Sure. So, so the data warehouse term has been around for a while. It's, I've, I think I've probably heard it in the nineties and two thousands, you know, and it's, it, it was really, here's the database and we're going to just take data that, that we've been collecting and put it there and it's, and we'll look at it when we need it. Right. And I think essentially that concept of the data warehouse came about purely around the analytics space because it was an operational data that they wanted to look at on a day-to-day basis. They wanted to keep it, look at it when they needed it, and look at it historically, right? So that's where the warehouse uh, concept came about. When the cloud caught fire, you know, there was this whole concept of really, really cheap storage that S3 and, and other object stores provided, where you could throw significant amounts of data without having to pay through the nose for it and practically no limit, right? So you didn't have to plan out, okay, I'm going to have to buy this this rack of space and put it in the data center when this next set of data comes in. I could just say, okay, if it goes from one terabyte to one petabyte tomorrow, Amazon will handle it for me. I don't have to worry about it, right? So that's where the, the whole data lake concept came about because they people were like, okay, I could just have these rivers of uh, data flowing in into these object stores. And that's where the lake uh, sort of concept came about. It's like, I don't have to worry about how deep it is. I don't have to worry about uh, how it gets there. I can just make sure it's pointed there and it'll fill up. Gotcha. Right. And it, and mm-hmm. if I had a bathtub, it would fill up the bathtub. <laughs> if, I, if, right. I had, if I had massive amounts of data. <laughs> the lakes flow into the lake oceans. And, Got it. Yeah. Now there's that whole intersection. It's a data lake house, which kind of makes mm, sense. Sounds more like a vacation <laughs> thing. Second home. Exactly. So, so it's these these warehouses that are sitting on the edge of the lake. I guess okay. uh, that gotcha. take that metaphor a little further ahead. <laughs> but yeah, within that world, I think I understand. So, like all of this sort of raw data is flowing in there. You're not even keeping track of it. But then later on, you might want to do a lot with it. And as you said, a lot easier to do that if you have Correct. these high level functions and analytics built right into the database itself. Correct. And I think that's where some of the future technologies are are headed towards is tracking where all that data is. Mm. Right? Metadata around what's happening with the data in that lake. When you're getting these massive amounts of data, being able to find the needle in the haystack and then pulling out everything that's attached to that into a warehouse so you can actually do something with it is where a lot of the technologies are headed towards, right? And I think from a future perspective, you'll see a lot more around data warehouse, data lake management and metadata management that I think is the next next phase for that space. The data about, <laughs> data your, about data. your data. Right. Metadata cool. metaverse. I'm ready. <laughs> so, I don't know if I am. Yeah. I don't know about the whole metaverse thing, but... <laughs> it's okay. You're old school. Yeah. We will come back to real yes. life eventually. What's old is new again. <laughs> Great. Well, we have just a few minutes left. So for the developers who are listening or the folks who are listening who manage teams or work at organizations, you know, that have a lot of data, how would you recommend that they sort of, you know, get acquainted with your tools or, you know, what are some good options for people who want to check out what Vertica has to offer or Vertica Accelerator and see if it makes sense for what they're doing? Well, it's very simple. It's uh, vertica.com, uh, V-E-R-T-I-C-A. Dot com. There's training materials on there. We have a whole academy. That's academy.vertica.com that gives you an introduction into the technology. Uh, if you want to get started quickly, product group that I'm in charge of, which is the Azure Service, gets you going you know, with a few clicks. That that makes it really easy if you're ready to go. There's a 14-day trial available as well if somebody wants to kick the tires. And there's some really, really smart people on on my side of the, the fence who can enable to help somebody wants to look, wants to explore further. Okay, very cool. All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. I'm going to shout out the winner of a Lifeboat badge who came on Stack Overflow and helped save a question from the dustbin of history. Thank you to Bar Mar, awarded December 10th, answering the question, how to query rows where time is between two times? And that's my sequel. 
not SQL or NoSQL, but my SQL. I am Ben Popper, the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper, email us podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. I'm on Twitter at Arthur Donovan. And if you have a great idea for a blog post, email me at pitches at stackoverflow.com. <laughs> and Ro, tell us who you are, what you do, and if you want to be found online, where people should go. Sure. Rohit Amarnath. Everybody calls me Ro. I'm the CTO at Vertica. You can find me on Twitter at R-A-M-A-R-N-A-T or on LinkedIn, of course. Awesome. Uh, thank you, everyone. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.